Chapter 4, An Eye of Faith, from the book Seeing with an Eye of Faith by Grant von Harrison. In a single day, our mind's eye makes numerous calculations. Everything we do involves calculations. The process of walking, for example, involves thousands of calculations. Some are so routine we hardly are aware of them. This explains why we can go up and down steps and not even be aware of our mind determining the number and size of the steps. However, if we make an inaccurate calculation, we become aware of it. For example, if when we step the outcome is different than what our mind's eye anticipated, we realize we made a miscalculation. If what we experience when we step is different than what our mind anticipates, four steps instead of three, or an unexpected decline in the sidewalk, it unnerves us. On the other hand, if we see a rock before we step on it, our mind's eye makes the necessary calculations and our, bodies pre- and our body prepares for it. The calculations we make regarding walking constitute only a fraction of those we make in our mind each day. Everything we do or consider doing results in our mind's eye making calculations which lead to deductions. Even the simple act of picking up a pencil involves this process. When we encounter a new or unusual situation, example, crossing a wide ditch or avoiding a large rock on the highway, our mind's eye analyzes the situation and decides the best course of action. Such situations involve at least three deductions. One, an estimate of our ability to handle the situation. Two, what the consequence will be if we succeed. And three, what the consequences will be if we try and then fail. Whether we are conscious of it or not, feasibility and consequences are inherent in all decision-making. In some instances, the process occurs in a fraction of a second. At other times, we deliberate about something in our mind's eye for hours. Our conclusion regarding feasibility greatly influences our decisions. If our mind's eye concludes something is not feasible, we do not attempt it. Whether it be jumping a ditch or becoming a medical doctor— When we conclude something is feasible, we ask ourselves further questions. Is it going to be worth the effort? Will we enjoy it? Is it in our best interest? Our conclusion that the chance of failure is high does not always dictate whether or not we pursue something, however. In some instances, the possibility of desirable consequence motivates us to attempt things even if we feel our chance of success is low. We conclude that the potential positive consequences, if we succeed, outweigh the potential negative consequences if we fail. Our temperament also influences our decision-making. Some of us fear failure. Consequently, we avoid decisions involving risk. In contrast, others of us throw reason to the wind. We attempt things despite a high risk of failure, even if the risk is physical or poses serious negative consequences. If we were disposed toward either extreme, we will frequently err in our decision-making. Ideally, we should exercise wisdom in attempting something that may, be, that may result in failure. And we should realize that even if what we are attempting does not involve physical danger or other serious consequences, repeated failure can affect our self-esteem and confidence. With ample experience, our mind's eye can generally predict the end results of certain endeavors. However, if we are inexperienced in our effort, our calculations may be inaccurate. When this is the case, our mind's eye quickly changes its calculations as it is provided new information.
For example, even if a person um, has never been skiing, he still has some idea regarding what is required to learn to ski. If the person begins to take skiing lessons, his perceptions about that sport will be altered. Based on this new information, he will have a much better idea about learning to ski and how, this, how his ability compares with others. When our mind's eye only has access to limited or distorted information, we run the risk of erring in our estimate of the feasibility of attaining a specific desire. When we make poor or naive decisions, we become frustrated. Distorted perceptions about our abilities can also interfere with our decision-making, especially if we underestimate our abilities. If this proves to be the case, we deny ourselves many opportunities and experiences by imposing limitations on ourselves. Our mind's eye envisions everything we consider doing. It projects implications, time required, and our reactions to success or failure. If we are mature, stable, and living righteously, most of our decisions will be fairly rational. In contrast, if we are immature or living unrighteously, our decisions are prone to be irrational when we are faced with stressful situations. When this proves to be the case, our inclinations will frequently be governed by appetites, passions, and emotion instead of reason. We will fail to see a situation clearly. We may let a moment's whim control our decision. It is one thing to know what the appropriate decision is and entirely something else to make that decision. If we are successful in bridling our tongues and eliminating inappropriate images from our mind's eye, however, we have the assurance that we will be blessed with the ability to see things clearly. And seeing things clearly will help us make good judgments. Desirability is an important factor in most of our decisions. Whether we think the object of our endeavor is desirable is subjective. It depends on our personal value system. Obviously, what we consider desirable may not be so to someone else. If we are self-centered, our primary concern is our own interests. In contrast, if we are sensitive to the needs and welfare of others, we will carefully weigh the effect of our decisions on other people. When the Spirit enlightens our mind's eye, we can effectively review the pros and cons of our decisions. Our mind's eye has to be convinced something is attainable before we can accomplish it. If we can clearly see ourselves doing something and conclude that the end results are desirable, we generally pursue it. It is impossible for our mind's eye to believe something is attainable independent of appropriate evidence. This evidence consists of any information that is persuasive in terms of convincing our mind's eye something is attainable. Facts, statements, or propositions we believe to be true are sources of evidence. Without evidence, the mind cannot have faith in anything. In all cases, our faith will be in proportion to the impressions produced upon the mind by evidence. Whether we are aware of it or not, our mind's eye reviews all the accessible information to arrive at a conclusion. If this information is incomplete or inaccurate, the conclusions will result in poor decisions. The same holds true if the information is complete and accurate, but unrighteousness prevents us from seeing things clearly. Based on the evidence presented to our mind's eye, we decide if a desired end is attainable. If the evidence is sufficient, we are able to see how it will be, it, how it will be accomplished. When we say the mind's eye sees, we mean the mind's eye is convinced something is attainable. Thus, in terms of the mind's eye, seeing is truly believing. Exploring the prospects of doing something is not the same as seeing in our mind's eye how it will, it will be accomplished. 
Some things we consider doing are nothing more than wishful thinking. With other things, we conclude that the end result is feasible. Our perception regarding feasibility is what determines our level of confidence. If we conclude we can do something easily, our confidence is high. If we, if we conclude the desired end will be difficult, our confidence is low. We cannot have confidence in our ability to accomplish things unless we can clearly see how they will be realized. Unfortunately, there are many desired ends that we cannot see ourselves being, doing, or accomplishing. If we cannot see ourselves completing a college degree, we never do. If we cannot see ourselves with a better job, we never get one. If we cannot see ourselves enjoying certain sports and activities, we avoid participating in them. The most tragic case is when we cannot see ourselves happy and go through life unhappy. When the things we desire or hope for are dependent on the circumstances beyond our control, it is especially difficult to see clearly in our mind's eye how they will be realized. Some things we desire are dependent on other people doing particular things. Others are dependent on natural elements. Um, ample rain for crops or the temperature staying above freezing. Others involve divine intervention, such as a priesthood blessing. The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us to pursue righteous ends even when we cannot see how they will be accomplished. Throughout the scriptures, the Lord repeatedly admonishes us to strive for righteous ends motivated by faith alone. We must exercise faith when we strive to be, to do, or accomplish things. We hope for but cannot see in our mind's eye how they will be accomplished. Faith is things which are hoped for and not seen. Ether 12, 6. Also Hebrews 11, 1. Alma 32, 21. Alma 32, 26. When we pursue righteous ends that require us to ex exercise faith, our mind's eye is faced with the challenge of maintaining an attitude of faith when we cannot see in our mind's eye how our desire will be realized. Whether or not our mind's eye is finally persuaded that a righteous desire can be realized is dependent on two things. One, the evidence we present to our mind's eye. And two, our personal worthiness. The strength or weakness of our faith will always be governed by these two things. If we are sufficiently righteous, the weakness or strength of our faith will be in direct proportion to the weakness or strength of the impression, impressions produced upon our mind by evidence. Contrast, if we are not sufficiently righteous, evidence, no matter how compelling, will not produce a sensible impression upon the mind. An unrighteous person's ability to exercise faith is impaired. The natural disposition of our mind's eye is to doubt, so unless we systematically present appropriate evidence to our mind's eye, it is impossible to maintain faith even if we are living righteously. Anything that supports the feasibility of a desired end being realized constitutes evidence. Our mind's eye repeatedly calculates the feasibility of realizing our desires. If the information presented to our mind's eye shows why the desired end cannot be realized, we will not be able to maintain faith in that endeavor. In contrast, if the evidence shows why or how the desired end can be realized and we are living righteously, it is much more likely we will be able to maintain an attitude of faith. If we do not learn to control the thoughts of or our mind's eye, our efforts to accomplish things that require faith to be realized will be limited. Faith cannot exist independent of the attitude and disposition of our mind's eye. It is important to realize that faith 
is not an abstract principle, separate and distinct from our mind, but it is a certain condition, a state of the mind itself, when the mind believes or has confidence in any subject or statement or proposition or desired end. It is then in possession of faith. Pratt, page 1. If at any moment our mind's eye concludes something is not feasible, we are void of faith regarding that matter, since faith and doubt cannot occupy minds, the mind's eye at the same time. At any time, our attitude about a desired end is either one of doubt and uncertainty, or faith and confidence. Our challenge is to be conscious of the attitude of our mind's eye at all times. It is impossible to combat doubt and uncertainty in our mind's eye if we are not aware of it. Once we are consistently aware of our thoughts and attitudes, if we are righteous, we can learn to maintain an attitude of faith. We accomplish this by learning to present appropriate evidence to our mind's eye and then learning to focus on the evidence. If we fail to present enough appropriate evidence to our mind's eye, we will be unable to maintain an attitude of faith regarding things we hope will eventuate. Once we have an attitude of faith, we qualify for divine assistance in achieving our righteous desires. Obviously, with the Lord's help, there are many things we can accomplish that we could not accomplish otherwise. Medical research has shown that if we present enough appropriate evidence to the mind's eye, in time it can see and believe things which initially seemed impossible. Psychological literature refers to this process as autosuggestion. Medical scientists have investigated the healing effect of the mind's eye on the body for over 50 years. Research has consistently shown that a person's will to live plays a definite role in his capacity to recover from an injury or illness. Autosuggestion also explains spontaneous remission of cancer. Most doctors know of cases in which a personal diagnosed with in which a person diagnosed with terminally ill cancer experiences a remission of the disease independent of medical treatment. Such observations have led medical scientists to studies attempting to demonstrate the healing power of the mind. In one study, patients with bleeding peptic ulcers showed significant improvements through using only placebos, substances with no pharmacological, pharmacological, pharmacological benefits. It was found that the condition for 70% of the patients remained improved for over a period of one year. Samuels, page 219. In another study, a placebo treatment of colored dye was as effective as surgically removing warts. In some way, the attitude of the mind's eye changed the skin's makeup, and it became impossible for the wart-causing virus to thrive. Samuels, page 219. In Persuasion and Healing, Dr. Jerome Frank, a, a psychiatrist at John Hopkins Medical School, suggests that a placebo becomes a symbol of a healing visualization in the mind's eye of the patient. Because a drug has been prescribed by a medical doctor, the patient is able to believe in the drug's effectiveness. Samuel, Samuel's page 219. Dr. Carl Simonton of Fort Worth, Texas, a radiologist who specializes in cancer treatment, has investigated the use of autosuggestion in treating patients. He has been successfully using visualization in the treatment of cancer since 1965. The treatment involves teaching the patient how to present evidence to his mind's eye by visualization. Bolin describes the process in his article, Mediation and Psychotherapy and the Treatment of Cancer. Quote, First he tunes in on the cancer, 
sees it in his mind's eye. Then, as Simonton describes it, he, the patient, pictures his immune mechanism working the way it's supposed to work, picking up the dead and dying cells. Patients are asked to visualize the army of white blood cells coming in, swarming over the cancer, and carrying off the malignant cells, which have been weakened or killed by the barrage of high-energy particles of radiation therapy. These white cells then break down the malignant cells, which are then flushed out of the body. Finally, just before the end of the meditation, the patient visualized himself well. Bolin, page 20, end quote. Exit. Executive Bob Gilly used Simonton's visualization techniques to fight his cancer. Before treatment, Gilly's chance of survival was approximately 30%. Gilly says the following about his treatment. Quote, I'd begin to visualize my cancer as I saw it in my mind's eye. I'd make a game of it. The cancer would be a snake, a wolverine, or some vicious animal. The cure, white husky dogs by the millions. It would be a confrontation of good and evil. I'd envision the dogs grabbing the cancer and shaking it, ripping it to shreds. The forces of good would win. The cancer would shrink from a big snake to a little snake and then disappear. Then the white army of dogs would lick up the residue and clean my abdominal cavity until it was spotless. End quote. Samuels, page 227. Gilly completed this exercise three times daily. In six weeks, his tumor had shrunk to one-fourth of its original size. Two months later, a cancer scan showed Gilly's body was free of cancer. Samuels, page 227. Simonton educates his patients about their immune me mechanism and shows them their own x-rays, as well as pictures of healing tumors. This procedure gives them specific images to visualize. Simonton also uses psychotherapy groups to help patients confront deep negative attitudes and replace them with more positive ones. Samuels, page 227. One of Simonton's studies found that all the patients who follow instructions implicitly and are enthusiastic about getting better show marked relief of symptoms and dramatic improvements of condition. Samuels, page 227. His study shows that a person's visualizations play a fundamental role in the, role in the cause of disease and its cure. Successful visualizations and healing involves the following. 1. Becoming aware of feelings concerning an illness. 2. Determining the cause of an illness. 3. Diagnosing an illness. 4. Determining what help, what will help in its treatment. We have all witnessed, to some degree, the relationship between the function of our physical body and our mind's eye. Most of us have experienced adrenaline surges which temporarily enhance our physical strength. We have read accounts of people gaining ex extraordinary strength in times of emergency. Less obvious are the effects of the mind's eye when our bodily functions decrease. Research has shown the mind can decrease our cons consumption of oxygen, production of carbon dioxide, and respiratory rate. Beery, page one, 119. Every function of our body is connected directly or indirectly to our mind, and the effects of the mind's eye on our body functions seem unlimited. Relaxing mentally in and of itself affects some body functions. With effort and practice, we can gain a remarkable control of our physiology. With training and practice, it is even possible for the mind's eye to control the autonomic nervous system. Autonomic nervous system, okay. The process by which the mind's eye can exert control over the autonomic nervous system is referred to as biofeedback. In 1970, Elder Elmer Green, a biofeedback researcher at the Menninger Foundation, 
conducted a number of studies on Swami Rama. Green described the results of one study. Open quotes. He, Swami Rama, caused two areas a couple of inches apart on the palm of his right hand to gradually change temperature in opposite directions, a maximum rate of about 4 degrees Fahrenheit until they showed a temperature difference of 10 degrees Fahrenheit. The left side of his palm after this performance, which was totally emotionless, looked as if he had been slapped with a ruler. It was rosy red. The right side of his hand had turned ashen gray. End quote. Samuels, page 222. An electric cardiograph machine showed that Swami Rama could raise his heartbeat at will from 70 beats per minute to 300 beats per minute. He could also cause his brain to make brain waves previously detected only in people who were in a state of deep sleep. Samuels, page 222. Autogenic therapy technique has worked successfully with both general and specific visualization effects. The therapy uses various exercises to facilitate autogenic or brain-directed, self-generating, self-regulatory processes of self-normalizing nature, which normally participates in homeostatic recuperative processes. Samuels, page 222. In the exercises, patients relax and close their eyes. They assume a sitting or lying position. They are to practice passive concentration, as explained by Samuels. Quote, 1. They should imagine they are in mental contact with the part of their body they are con concentrating on. 2. They should keep repeating a given formula either visually or verbally. And 3. They should have a casual attitude towards the results of the exercise and towards their body. End quote. Samuels, page 223. Autogenic therapy is much more common in Europe than in the United States and has been researched there quite extensively. A seven-volume work on autogenic therapy by Schultz and Luth cites 2,400 studies completed there. European doctors have used it in treating such disorders as ulcers, heart attacks, and headaches, to name a few. Again, Samuels, page 225. The role of evidence in causing the mind's eye to see or believe something pertaining to physiology is obvious. But more importantly, we need to develop a comprehensive understanding of the relationship between evidence and faith. If we then act on this understanding, we will be inclined to systematically present evidence to our mind's eye regarding our righteous desires. As we do, our ability to qualify for a divine assistance in every facet of our life will be enhanced significantly. The evidence we present to our mind can be derived from various sources, our past experience, the opinions and experience of others, and reading material related to our endeavor. The scriptures and teachings of modern-day prophets are sources of evidence for many endeavors. When we receive information related to something we desire or hope for, our mind's eye considers the information as, e as either positive or negative evidence. Positive evidence enhances our confidence that the desired end is attainable. Negative evidence can cause us to conclude that the desired end is not attainable. It is difficult at first to keep our mind's eye in an attitude of faith when we hope to accomplish righteous ends we cannot visualize. But if we maintain faith, in time the Spirit of the Lord can assure us they will be realized. The challenge is to not dispute nor doubt prior to receiving this assurance. The Lord has counseled, Dispute not because you see not, for you receive no witness or assurance until after the trial of your faith. Ether 12.6
If people are unrighteous, they will have difficulty achieving desired ends that require faith to be realized. Unrighteous people are unable to control their mind's eye sufficiently to maintain an attitude of faith. Also, they will be unable to see or fully understand the positive evidences presented to their mind's eye. When these limitations are coupled with the fact that unrighteous people are not in the frame of mind to receive assurance from the Spirit that something is unattainable, that something is attainable, it is easy to understand why they have difficulty exercising faith. In contrast, if people are righteous, they can exercise the faith necessary to be successful in realizing their righteous desires. The following excerpt from Elder Von J. Featherstone's book, Charity Never Faileth, illustrates this point. Quote, Some time ago, I had the privilege of being involved with a young man and his father. The youth and a friend had been hiking in the foothills near Cody, Wyoming. The friend jumped across a high power line that was down, but the young man got tangled in it and was electrocuted. The friend ran all the way back down to where the father lived, and it, was, it wasn't a short distance, and told the father that his son had been electrocuted and was dead. The father, who was not a young man, ran all the way back up, taking about 15 minutes. When he got to where the boy was lying across the wires, he managed somehow to remove the youth from the wires with a board or a large stick. Then he picked his son up in his arms and held him, saying, In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power and authority of the holy Melchizedek priesthood, I command you to live. The dead boy opened his eyes and talked with his father. Featherstone, page 102. Later, in a conference talk, Elder Featherstone referred to the experience just related. This great brother could not have possibly done that had he been looking at a pornographic piece of material a few nights before, or if he had been involved in any other transgression of that kind. The priesthood has to have a pure conduit to operate. End quote. Conference Report, April 1975, page 100. Once we have been successful in realizing desired ends that require us to exercise faith, we gain more confidence in the Lord's promise that we can realize righteous ends which we cannot see. Previous success with faith becomes a, ma a major evidence to our mind's eye. Then, in the future, if we cannot see how something will be accomplished in our mind's eye, we are at least able to see how faith will prepare the way so it will be accomplished. Being able to see what is possible through faith is not possible unless our mind is enlightened by the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord influences our ability to exercise faith in various ways. Besides giving assurance, the Spirit can direct us to resources or alternatives we have overlooked. The Spirit can also assure us that the Lord will assist our righteous efforts and help us keep our thoughts free of things inspired by the devil. Under the influence of the Spirit, our mind's eye has much greater vision regarding our potential. We are able to see ourselves doing things that, without the power and influence of the Spirit, would not be considered feasible. The scriptures refer to this frame of mind as seeing with an eye of faith. Alma 5.15, Ether 12.19 David was able to see with an eye of faith when he faced Goliath. His brothers saw the situation in terms of the physical world. Example, their size and strength as compared with Goliath's size and strength. Consequently, their mind's eye concluded that there was no way they could defeat Goliath. David, on the other hand, saw the situation with an eye of faith. His perception was not limited to the physical world. 
The following scripture illustrates David's faith in the Lord and a divine perspective when he says, The Lord that delivereth me out of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the land of this Philistine. Samuel 17.37 David maintains this perspective when he faced Goliath. Quote, and the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. End quote. 1 Samuel seventeen forty four through 47 Some missionaries learn to see with an eye of faith. When they do, if they are assigned to areas where no one has been baptized in years, they are able to see with an eye of faith how the way will be prepared for people to join the church. This assurance makes it possible for them to proceed to bring people into the church on a regular basis while they are laboring in the area. It is not a chance experience when followers of Christ are allowed to see with an eye of faith. They must be living righteously, and as a result of evidence they, mu- they present to their mind, they are able to maintain an attitude of faith for a sustained period of time. When righteous living is coupled with faith sustained by pr- appropriate evidence, followers of Christ are able to see how it will be possible to achieve righteous desires that require divine assistance to be realized. It is one thing to be aware of divine power and entirely something else to see with an eye of faith how that power will assist us. When our perception of divine power is based only on awareness, our mind's eye is not able to maintain an attitude of faith. Consequently, our mind's eye concludes some righteous desires are not attainable. In contrast, when we see with an eye of faith, our confidence is not easily shaken. Even when we are faced with unexpected obstacles, we can, maintain the insu- we can maintain the assurance that our righteous desires will be realized. When we are allowed to see with an eye of faith what we can achieve with divine assistance, we transcend faith. Quote, our knowledge is perfect in that thing, and our faith is dormant, and this because we know, for we know that the word has swelled our souls, and we also know that it hath it hath sprouted up that our understanding doth begin to be enlightened as our mind doth begin to expand. Alma thirty two thirty four. This sure knowledge regarding things that require faith initially is available to those who are willing to serve the Lord with an eye single to his glory. The scriptures mention people who were able to see with an eye of faith. In some instances, they were even able to see beyond the veil. Ether twelve nineteen. It was with an eye of faith that Elisha and his servant were able to see the horses and chariots of fire the Lord sent to protect them in 2 Kings 6, 12-20. The brethren of Jared saw the, the Lord Jesus Christ prior to Christ's mortal birth, Ether 3, 6-16.
When a person receives a vision, it is viewed in the mind by means of an eye of faith. Throughout the history of the world, people have been allowed to see future events through visions. The Bible and the Book of Mormon tell of people who saw events associated with Christ's ministry, especially his birth and death. Jacob writes, We know of Christ and his kingdom which should come. Jacob 1.6 Many Nephites also saw what would happen to future generations by means of an eye of faith. This view of the future came as a result of faith and desire, not faith alone. See Jacob 1.5 and Mosiah 5.3 The Book of Mormon mentions people who saw with an eye of faith the time when their scriptures would be available to the inhabitants of the earth prior to the Savior's second coming. See Nephi, Second uh, Nephi, twenty nine two. Through an eye of faith, we can see events which may occur pre- predicated on our righteousness, as well as events that have already transpired. In this dispensation, some church leaders have been allowed to see events associated with the Savior's crucifixion by means of an eye of faith. Um, example: J. Reuben Clark, Harold B. Lee. If we learn to see with an eye of faith. We can qualify to receive visions regarding ourselves and those we love. We can see glimpses of future events predicated on righteousness. A young man or woman in their youth cannot be allowed to glimpse themselves serving a mission or being parents. On some occasions, we are able to see ourselves receiving specific church callings. A vision regarding our own life is just as much a vision as those received by prophets. Both involve the Spirit of the Lord and an eye of faith. Our patriarchal blessings prove to be major evidence to our mind's eye regarding some future events in our lives, contingent on our righteousness. We need to realize that Satan wants us to doubt our righteous desires will ever be realized. A major temptation for young men is to doubt their ability to provide adequately for their future families. Many young women doubt they will have an opportunity to be married in the temple and be a mother in Israel. We should not allow doubts regarding our future in righteousness occupy our mind's eye. We are responsible to maintain an attitude of faith regarding promises made in our patriarchal blessings and in the scriptures. As we learn to serve the Lord with an eye single to his glory, if we desire, we will be able to approach our mortal endeavors with an eye of faith. Seeing with an eye of faith can help us proceed with confidence and resolve. Just like David and Nephi of old, we will be confident the Lord will prepare a way for our righteous desires to be realized. We should strive to use our eye of faith each time we set out to accomplish things that are challenging. As we do, we need to remember two things. One, we are responsible to systematically present appropriate evidence to our mind's eye. And two, our faith will be tried before we will be allowed to see by means of an eye of faith our righteous desires being realized. Another function of an eye of faith is to allow us to see the hand of the Lord in our lives in a more comprehensive way, thus helping us keep one of the Lord's strictest commandments. And in nothing doth man offend God, or against none is his wrath kindled, save those who confess not his hand in all things, and obey not his commandments. D&C 59.21 If we recognize the Lord's hand fully in our lives, we will be much more aware of the workings of the Spirit. On the other hand, if we are unable to see with an eye of faith, we cannot comply with this commandment completely. The workings of the Spirit, the hand of God, are only discerned when we are able to see with an eye of faith. 
When we are able to recognize the hand of the Lord in every facet of our daily lives, we are, in effect, seeing the Lord. The Lord has promised he will reveal himself to the righteous in his own way and according to his own will. DNC 88:68. In time the righteous will literally see the face of the Lord. See DNC 93:1. But our immediate challenge is to learn to see the hand of the Lord helping us in our daily living. Satan desires that our mind's eye become blind to spiritual things. If we become blind to spiritual things, we will begin to deny what we previously knew to be true. The Nephites who witnessed the marvelous sign and wonders at the time of Christ's birth fell into disbelief just a few years later and were victims of this blindness. Nephi described what what transpired. And it came to pass that thus passed away the the ninety and fifth year also, and the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts and blind in their minds, and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen. 3 Nephi 2, 1 It is important that we train ourselves to be systematic in visualizing and presenting evidence to our mind. If our efforts are sporadic, we will not be successful in learning to see with an eye of faith. We should be resolved to consistently increase our ability to see with an eye of faith. We can increase this ability this ability by 1. Becoming increasingly aware of our mind's eye. 2. Living worthy to be enlightened spiritually. 3. Learning to serve with an eye single to the glory of God. 4. Consistently visualizing things we hope to achieve in our mind's eye. 5. Systematically presenting appropriate evidence to our mind's eye. and 6. Seeking the witness of the Spirit that our desires are attainable. Unless we are willing to devote time daily to visualizing righteous desires, our ability to see with an eye of faith will be limited. Ideally, we should focus our mind's eye on at least one righteous desire on a regular basis. As we do this, our ability to see with an eye of faith will increase if we are worthy. We need to make an effort to note how much time we devote to visualizing and to the specific evidences we present to our mind. If we take advantage of incidental segments of time during the day, it is possible to to devote well over one hour to visualization each day. The amount of evidence we will need to present to our mind's eye in order to maintain an attitude of faith will depend on the nature of the righteous desires we are striving to realize. If we find ourselves doubting, either we are not sufficiently worthy or we have not presented enough evidence to our mind's eye. As a general rule, our faith will always be tried before we can actually visualize our desire being realized. In most cases, unless we learn to increase the amount of evidence we present to our mind when our faith is being tried, we will not be allowed to see how our desires being realized through an to see how to see how our desires being realized through an eye of faith. As we become more successful in this process, our awareness of God and the Lord Jesus Christ will be intensified. Gifts of the Spirit will become more operative in your life. Inspiration will assist us in making judgments about the feasibility of everything we we anticipate doing. We will be able to maintain an attitude of faith regarding our righteous desires. Consequently, we will approach our mortal pursuits and responsibilities with confidence. With an attitude of faith, we will see ourselves and the world around us differently. 
Even though we will be more aware of our weaknesses, they will not weigh us down. We will be able to clearly see how we can overcome them. No matter what our circumstances, we will see the world in terms of opportunity. Once we are able to see with an eye of faith, fairly consistently, we will be, fulfilled, we will be filled with the spirit of optimism. Most importantly, we will begin to comprehend more fully the blessings promised members of the house of Israel. The Lord explains how faith brings such comprehension in the following verse. Behold, when ye shall rend that veil of unbelief which doth cause you to remain in your awful state of wickedness, and hardness of heart, and blindness of mind, then shall the great and marvelous things which have been hid up from the foundation of the world from you, yea, when ye shall call upon the Father in my name, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then shall ye know that the Father hath redeemed the covenant which he had made unto your fathers, O house of Israel. Ether 4.15 an eye of faith makes it possible for us to hope for forgiveness of sins through the atonement of Jesus Christ. This hope assures us that we will be lifted up to dwell in the kingdom of kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world, if we remain faithful. Ether 4.19 It is impossible to have such assurance and hope without an eye of faith. Hope cannot exist independent of faith. Moroni 7.42 if we are not successful in developing sufficient faith to give us the hope and assurance that we can be saved in the kingdom of God, in time we will succumb to despair. See Moroni 10.22 The Lord has warned, men's hearts shall fail them if they persist in unrighteousness. See D&C 45.26 D&C 88.91 The Lord had promised that if we repent of our iniquities and become clean, in time we will be capable of seeing with an eye of faith in the same way as the brother of Jared did. See Ether 4, 6-7 just, just prior to and during the millennium, many inhabitants of the earth will be able to see beyond the veil on a regular basis. By means of an eye of faith, we can determine whether or not we will be found worthy at the final judgment. We can literally view ourselves standing before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in mortality. If we have become subject to the devil, we will not be able to envision ourselves being exalted. See Alma 5:17-21. If we are living righteously, however, we can envision the Lord saying, Come unto me, come unto me ye blessed, for behold your works have been works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. Alma 5.16 End of book